0: Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you today. I'm Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have you with us this morning. Got a good crowd, and it's always exciting. I was walking around amongst you just listening to the banter, and it was just nice, nice to be in God's house on a Sunday morning. Got a couple of announcements, uh, one in particular, um, and that is that there will be a financial meeting uh, of the church. Uh, if you'd like to attend, it's Wednesday night here I believe it's in your bulletins. We're going to be talking about uh, how financially, what shape we're in, what our plans are, and answer to answer any of your questions that you may have about our church finances. Uh, we just finished a, a series of lessons from uh, the beginning this year, and now we're starting a, a new series uh, called As for Me and My House. Uh, let me uh, want to read something to you from Chuck Swindle that was written just a couple of years ago. Uh, about uh, family. He says these words, "...whatever else uh, may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due. The home is the single most influential force in our earthly existence. We live in a world that downplays the value of the home." We don't realize the kind of world our children face each day and how things have changed. For example, kids in the 30s grew up during the Depression when times were hard. Everybody had to work, and the dollar was a, a dollar was a lot of money. Kids in the 40s grew up with World War II, Frank Sinatra, Bogie, and Bacall. Kids in the 50s grew up with black and white television, I Like Ike, Hula Hoops, and a kid from Tupelo, Mississippi by the name of Elvis Presley. Kids in the 60s grew up with the Beatles and LSD and assassinations and the summer of love with Vietnam and violence in the streets. Kids in the 70s grew up with Charlie's Angels, Disco, Happy Days, M.A.S.H., Saturday Night Fever, and Watergate. Kids in the 80s grew up with crack cocaine, AIDS, MTV, Pee Wee Herman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Nintendo, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Kids in the '90s they grew up with The Simpsons and Friends, Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, Monica Lewinsky, rap music, and Columbine. Then the 2000s began. I remember when I was seven, thinking how old I'd be the year 2000. Twenty-three years ago, that happened. And they call these the kids in the aughts. And the kids in the aughts grew up with 9-11, the war on terror, American Idol, Harry Potter and South Park, Facebook and Hannah Montana. Kids in the tens grew up with Lady Gaga, Drake, iPhones, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, sexting and gay marriage. And today, our kids in the 20s are growing up in a bullying cancel culture COVID, Lizzo, Elon Musk, TikTok, LGBTQ+, fentanyl and cryptocurrency. Our kids see more. They know more. They experience more. And they grow up faster than we did. Against that reality, these words of Dr. James Dobson strike home. We must make the salvation of our children Our number one priority; nothing else is more important, and that's why I want to spend some a few weeks looking at families this week or this uh, next few weeks, uh, next six weeks, looking at families. Um, We're going to look at families like Timothy's family. You know, the, the typical family today. We like to think is, is much different than the typical family during the Bible. And there's some truth in that. But not every family in, in the Bible had a mom and a dad. Some were raised by, with single parents. Some were raised, both parents are gone. Some were, there were interracial marriages. There were all kinds of situations that we might say, well, the normal family that we think of in America, well, it's, it's, it's changed and radically changed so much that it is like some of the families in the Bible. And I thought we would look at several of those again in the next six weeks and and learn from them what we can. Um, Because a lot of these families shared the same problems and same challenges and faced the same critical choices that all of our families face uh, as we speak. One of the most revered and quoted passages on family in the Bible is the one I want to look at today. Uh, this one's found in Joshua twenty four fifteen. It's where we've got the theme for this series. Joshua says these words, If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors worshipped from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of the Amorites on which land you're now living. As for me and my family, we will worship God. God is, uh, Joshua is saying to Israel, our families live in a critical time. And he could say that today, couldn't he? Yeah. And he's acknowledging, one of the things that Joshua is acknowledging is there are gods in every generation. They're everywhere and they're in every generation. There are these other ideals, there's these other values, there's these other ways of living And other, other things that take up our mind, our time, our money, and, and our focus. And he says they're all around. And there's an urgency in what he's saying here, because he says you need to choose today. The sooner you choose, the better off you're going to be as a people. I want you to know this morning, I, 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 I've changed some, some of my views have changed over the last several years about how, how do we educate our children? Do we do it in a public, uh, setting, or to do it at home, and I, I uh, man, I tell you what, some of you here that are are educating your children at home, I understand why, more and more why you're you're doing that, and some of you here who have chosen to let your children be educated in our public system, there's there's an advantage and a disadvantage to that as well, and I and I applaud both approaches. I know that both families, whether you do it one way or the other, we do, we're doing everything we think, we think of to insulate and protect our kids, even isolate them from this world we live in. But church, you know this is true. It's impossible to do because this culture that we're in, these, these gods of our generation right now are, are slipping in through our TVs and our iPhones. They're slipping in through our classrooms. In our laws of the land, and they're also even, even finding its way into the friendships that we have and our friends and our children have. Am I right? So what, but can I do anything? Yes, you can. You can choose what you're going to do today as you live, as you and I, our families live in a culture of foreign gods. We choose Hopefully to serve the Lord. Because see, these words of Joshua that, that were, that started, that come out of his mouth to his generation, echo through the generations and rest in my generation and in yours of what we're going to do. And, and they, and, and these words are asking us and challenging us and nudging us to worship that we say, as for me, it starts with me. And the rest of my house, which makes sense, whether i 'm a dad or a mom or i 'm a teenager or a child, all of us here we have game in this our children now listen, some of you teenagers understand you have a big impact on your family. I know this for a fact because I had an impact on my mother when I became a disciple you you can reach, and you can change the family dynamic in your home, regardless if you're a grandparent. I, I joke around that grandparents have no power. We weld great power. We have great wisdom. And we should take it. We should use it. And if you've got a grandparent, a godly, especially a godly grandparent, you should use that. Take advantage of it. Suck them dry. Get everything you can from them because they know more and have experienced more. Man, they're, they're, they're valuable. But as a mom, if you're all by yourself, I, I, I'm raising these kids all by myself. This is so hard. I want you to know, I, I, my heart breaks for you. I know how challenging that is, but I want you to know you choose as for you and your house to serve the Lord. You be that rock. And if you're a felon, you go, you know, it, sometimes it works the other way. Some of you men are married to women that aren't godly and you're going, you know, I I want, I want my, or I've lost my wife. I want my son. I want my daughter. I want my family to be, to, to be devoted to God in this crazy culture. Let me tell you, let it start with you. You make that decision today. It's the best thing you could do. And we're going to see why here in a minute. Let me give you four choices here. I noticed out of this passage, I had I started off with 16 choices and I worked it down to four, okay? So thank you for praying for me. I know some of you actually do that. Let's look at this first choice. The first choice is me and my house will be grateful for God. If there's anything I, I, I want to make sure, I'm going to choose. We're going to choose gratitude. I'm going to create gratitude in my home more and more. I'm going to give God more credit. I'm going to speak of what He's doing more and more in my house. You know, Joshua's up in years. He's about to pass away and he's giving parting advice. And he has seen a whole lot of things in his lifetime. And you read chapters 23 and 24 and 25, you get a a real eyeful and an earful and a mindful full of what he has experienced. He's at at the side of Moses when they come out of Egypt. It says, the Bible says he followed him I think the King James or what it says, he was knee high. Ever since he was a little boy, he has been following along with Moses, learning from Moses. So he has seen everything. He, he starts off talking about a family. He says, look, God has done so much for us as Israel, as Israelites. And he says, he starts it off with, with mentioning a family, which makes sense. Most of the time when anything significant is happening in the Bible, there's a family there that's, that's initiating it. He mentions Abraham, who leaves where they are now, goes, leaves Canaan, and goes to where he's never been before. And through that struggle and through time, his family grows. The people end up in Egypt. Moses comes along, and then Moses brings them out. God uses Moses to bring them out of Egypt, and God is helping Joshua recall all these things that he's done. And if we pick it up in verses 11 through 13 here in your notes, look what he says here, because he's talking about all these pivotal moments. It's God speaking through, through Joshua. And God says, then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, the two Amorite kings... You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. What are you doing here, Joshua? He goes, I want you to know. I want Israel to know. I want God's people to know they have so much to be grateful for and they owe god so much that is so important you see a good memory of what god has done is powerful my mother one time um she's not here this morning so i can talk about her she came over to the shop one time it was it was um i can't remember what what time of the year it was but I'm sitting there and I'm overwhelmed. We had just lost a major account. It was a huge account, and I'm worried. And she's like, "How you doing?" Well, and in front of everybody, I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't and I'm telling her, you know, it's hard to it's hard being in the glass business, and I've got all this stuff, and I'm. You know, we lost a big account and I've got my hand against this wall and she grabs my hand. She just takes a hold of it and moves it around on the wall. And I'm going, what are you doing? Well, what she's doing is she's making me feel this brand new wall of our brand new shop that had just been built. And she says to me, she goes, yeah, I can see what you're worried about. God isn't going to take care of you, is he? Never mind, Mom, you're so right. She just reminded me in such a subtle way of of all the things God has done. And that's what what we need to be doing in our family. You see, gratitude builds humility, but it also builds hope and confidence. When you start thinking about all the things God has done, you start recalling them in your mind, you start counting those blessings, it also creates this sense of security, and it also builds loyalty. Loyalty. In your heart toward your God, that you'll want to worship Him, so you have to keep you have to keep this in mind. Listen, when we forget all the things God has done, we end up forgetting the one that did them. Look at this passage here in Hosea 13. This is generations later and the people the the people of God have forgotten the Lord they've got into captivity and look what the bible says god is speaking to the prophet hosea now i'm still your god the god who saved you out of egypt i'm the only real god you've ever known i'm the one and only god who delivers i took care of you during the wilderness hard times those years when you had nothing i took care of you all i took care of all your needs gave you everything you needed You were spoiled. You thought you didn't need me. And you forgot me. If I don't remember what God has done, I'll forget who did it. I was talking this week to a friend of mine, a close friend of mine. He has four children. Two of them are not faithful to God. He's a preacher. And I'm like what happened? What do you think happened? I mean, I hate it. I was so uncomfortable asking him, but we're close enough to talk about this. I said, what do you think happened? He goes, Tim, I don't know, but I know if I had everything to do all over again. And this is exactly what he said to me. I'd have talked about the Lord more. I said, you're a preacher. No, I would have talked about the Lord more at home. I'd have talked about all the things he was doing. You know, if you don't talk about all things God is doing, sometimes you suddenly start thinking you're the one doing it all, and your family catches that. He said, "Oh, Tim, I just wish I'd have done that more." And he, then he said this, and I wish I'd have complained less about his people. Ouch! You want to encourage your family to choose the Lord? Count his blessings often in your home. Talk about it. Give God the credit. Mention what he's doing. Especially mention what he's done. This was, this was something we did in our house all the time. I got a teacher I don't want. I remember one of them come home. I got Mrs. McKinney. Matthew had Mrs. McKinney. Mrs. McKinney liked playing on the piano and telling stories. He wanted to learn. He, here he's five years old. I want to learn something. I said, I guess you're going to learn how to sing and play the piano. I said, God, I think God puts you in Mrs. McKinney's class for a reason, Matthew. That's what Denise goes to. I think you're right. We've been praying about this, haven't we? Yeah. Well, God must think you should be in that classroom. So make the best out of it. We, we would tell, we would we would pray about or talk about this. We'd say, remember the time you were sick and we prayed about you being sick? And remember that? Yeah. And you got better? Yeah. Remember the time your dad lost his job? And he had, didn't have a job. Yeah, yeah. And we went look and went looking. And you, we prayed, and 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 now you you know, look at where we are now. God did that. That's not from your dad. Thanks. It's, no, it's from God. And, and 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 remember that time, Uncle Danny. We were praying for him that he'd find Jesus. Remember that? Because we prayed. I'll tell you what. Little kids' prayers, you know, get to heaven. So I used that card a lot. Just in case God wasn't listening to me, hey, would you mention Danny? Oh, God, please help Danny become a Christian. Help him get baptized, whatever that is. And I said, you remember that? Yeah, and what God do? He did that. Oh and I and I I just want you to know, church, I think that we building this just building this atmosphere of God's doing this. God's opening this door. Well, let's just leave it up to God. How many times we tell our kids and we we did he say tell each other well we got this car we want to buy or we want to buy this house? Well, if we get it, we get it. If we don't, that's fine. Blessed be the name of the Lord. we we'll let the Lord decide. It's always good to do that. That's what Joshua did. He said, hey, God was with us in Egypt. He, He was with us when we were wandering around. And He's with us now. He's telling his, his, the families, the leaders of families in Israel. And he's saying, look at all the things He's done. See, it's easier to choose God when you're grateful. Much easier to choose Him. So that's the first choice I need, to, I need to really think about is, I'm going to be grateful and my family's going to be grateful. We say to our kids, what do you say? Thank you. Thank you. And how often do they hear us? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It starts with me before it can be we. number Here's choice number two. Me and my house will worship God. I'm going to worship God and the rest of my house is going to worship God. Then Joshua told the people, this is before he... Told him to choose. He said, He said, Worship the Lord, obey Him, and always be faithful. Get rid of those idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived on the other side of the Euphrates River and in Egypt. In the next verse, He says, As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. I got a picture I want to show you. This is a picture from Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell was a very religious man. He was a very religious man. Well, that's a, well, that really didn't turn out as well as I was hoping it would. It's hard to see. This is called Sunday morning. And I don't know if you get the idea of what it is. Norman Rockwell painted a lot of religious paintings, uh, and notice in this paint, what you notice in this painting is the oldest sister, and then the mother, and then the next sister, and the little boy, the little brother, and they're going to church. And what's Dad doing? He decided to do something else. And one of the things you, you if you uh, that's been said about it is the little boy's eyes are looking around instead of being in lockstep going to church. He's looking around as if he's looking for dad. Some have said that maybe he's longing to stay home with dad. That's interesting. Why am I showing that to you? I know a lot of spiritual giants that are women. I have a longer list of spiritual giants that are women than I do of men. I was raised by two spiritual giants that were women. You probably can think of some women right now. And my list keeps growing. My list keeps growing. I want to say to you all you ladies that are have, have raised your children, that are now involved in your grandchildren, that have tried to drag, push, prod, whatever you've had to do, your, your husband... Or dad or granddad to move along. I want you to know I, 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 I'm so sorry that you have to do that, but I'm so grateful at the same time that you are that way. But the Bible and science, and they do agree on this, they both confirm how important it is to have dad involved in the spiritual growth of their children. Now I know this isn't Father's Day. And this is not about guilt and dad. Don't be elbowing him. Don't make sure he hears this lesson. But I want you to know, dad, you matter. I sit back and still think about where would I be if my dad would have been a man of God? What would I be like? I'm not saying mom didn't do a bad job. Oh my goodness, I just think about the advantage. And I envy... I watch some of you, I watch Richard, my two sons, I watch them, I watch Mike Denius, I sit back and go, wow, I watch how they're involved in their kids. And it's not just, let's see how fast they can run and how far they can throw a ball. But they're involved. what they're after is the spiritual, they're teaching them to think. It matters to them, all four of them have mentioned to me times and' gone i don't know what to do man my kids I'm, My kids are getting attacked right now by every idea you can imagine it's so critical it 's so critical. The industrial revolution took Dad out of the house, and I want to tell you. You can still be in the house and be absent, fellas. It's so important that we're present in our in our sons' and daughters' lives and in our grandchildren's lives. Your choice matters. It's a dad that says, it's a man that says, I'm not being sexist, ladies, you know that, right? My mom said, as for me and my house, I made her a, I took a board, carved it, This passage, Joshua, she hung in front of her home. As for me and my house. Dad didn't give a flip, but my mom did. So it's not sexist to say what I'm about to say. I just want you to understand. Fellas, it falls on you and I. Every generation, the men in the kingdom to raise. It says fathers, raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't say moms, although I know moms are willing and mom's do but it rests with us and we're going to have to give an account on how we raise our children Joshua says here you decide you can either worship the gods of Egypt or you can start following and the and worship the gods of your of what's right here in front of you in your own land but as for me My family, we're going to worship the God, catch it, that put us here, that created us, not some man-made idol. Years ago, years ago, when we were meeting in the old building, which is now the great room, partially the great room, we had the power went out. Some of you were here. Remember that? The power went out and we had candles. That's back when we did candlelight services the right way. We had candles everywhere. I mean, they were everywhere. And I lean over to a friend of mine and I go, it looks like we're a bunch of Satan worshipers. You know, anybody, some, some, at any moment, somebody's going to break out in a song. I want to kill everybody. Satan is my friend. Satan is my pal. I'm expecting to hear that. And he leads, I know some of you are so offended I just did that. That's from the burbs. But you know, but but the thing I remember, he leans back and goes, well, in about 30 seconds, it's going to be real obvious who we worship. And then the song broke out and the church started singing and there we were in candlelight singing praises to God. It was obvious who we were worshiping. And it is obvious guys, it's obvious parents, it's obvious teens, to the rest of your family who you worship. If you, if you have a family, you're a member of family, you say, well, it's just me and my cat. Well, let me tell you, your cat needs to see that you worship the Lord God. Make it obvious. Because see, every day, in every choice, in every word, how we spend our time All this, all this together, is is a message to the rest of our family that says, "This is what matters to me the most." And I know this from experience. God blesses my home when He's when He's in the center of my heart, when He's there. And I, and you know, I got to admit, there's times my family saw me, the dollar became important, or. Or a sporting event was so important or uh, some thing I owned and they broke it became like the mad issue of the house and, and church. Uh, but what needed to be shown and displayed all the time was the Lord God is what matters the most to me. Look at it says, Exodus 20 here, Joshua heard these words when he was a little kid. Don't bow down and worship idols. I am the God your God. And I demand all your love. If you reject me, I will punish your families for three or four generations. Whoa. But if you love me and obey my laws, I will be kind to your families for thousands of generations. So it's this choice. Who do I worship? Because it's going to have a big impact on the rest of my family. Here's choice number three. Me and my house will obey God. I don't know what everybody else is going to do. But I'm going to obey God and my family's going to obey God. That's what we're going to have in this house. It says, then Joshua told the people, worship the Lord, obey him, and always be Faithful. And of course, there's this statement again in the CEV. My family and I are going to worship and obey the Lord. Obedience seems to be a major battleground in families. Am I right about that? I was with uh, I was with one of my sons. We were at Texas Roadhouse, and Mom's in the crowd, and she's already gone. What is he going to say? We're in Texas Roadhouse and we're having a steak. It was the best steak I'd had in years. It was really good. I wish I could remember what it was. It was just too good. It, it tasted so good it drove the memory right out, you know, of what it was. And we're eating there. And here's one of the granddaughters, and she's got her favorite item in front of her. It's perfectly cooked hot dog. You would think, you know, anybody, a kid who wants a hot dog. Now you know who it is. And and she's going, Ehh! and here's Dad going, eat the hot dog. Ehh! I go, what's going on? I don't know. She's been like this. We're trying to figure it out. Eat the hot dog. You like the hot dog. You enjoy the hot dog. Are you hungry? Eat the hot dog. And it's like going on and he's trying to eat and it's just getting crazier and crazier. And he goes, do do you want to go? And he, you know, some parents will do the one, two, three. One, two. No, dad didn't do that one. He didn't bribe. If you eat this, you'll get this. Oh, No, none of that. No bribing going on. No, it was, do you want to go to the restroom? And have the talk? Kinda like Yellowstone. You want to go to the train station? Is that where we're going? What? We're going, don't you want to eat? We're going to the restroom. We're going to have the talk. And we knew what the talk meant. And so, she finally, he says, "Listen, are, do, are you ready to? You, let's just go to, the, let's go to the restroom and get it over with." And she goes, "No, no, Daddy, no, no!" Finally, he just grabs her and takes off. They're gone a while. We finish our meal in peace. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, they come back, and this little girl who could not eat her hot dog, who could had a meltdown, is going la, 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 it's raindrops and butterflies and everything's wonderful. I thought, what did he say in that restroom? <laughs> Obedience is a chore. I know all of us here, the what they eat, what they do, you know, uh why won't you do what I say? And, and, and we just deal with this all the time. And the thing is, I found this sign. Let me show you this sign real quick here. I found this. I thought it was really good because my parents spanked me as a child. As a result, I now suffer from psychological condition known as respect for others. Amen. And I just thought that was funny. The idea that, you know, we, what we have to go through sometimes. And we went through it in our house too. We went through the same thing uh, with with eating, picking things up, um, leaving each other alone, all kinds, you know, obedience is just, a, it's a major dilemma in our homes. And 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 the thing is, it's because it's where it's learned. There ought to be tension because that's where obedience is learned. You know, when, you, when your kid's in trouble at school, what do they do? They call home. To take care of it. Why? How many remember growing up? I remember I'd be giving some teacher stuff time and they'd just say, you know, I can call your dad right now. This is before cell phones. He could have put it on, nowadays they can put it right on FaceTime and look at what your daughter's doing. Look what your son's doing. I went, no, 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 no. We don't want to go there. I don't want to die. No, they go to the home. Why? Because the home is still the place where obedience is learned, it's honed, it's developed. It's there we learn how to address authority. It's in the home that we learn how to learn uh, the definition of things like duty and what that looks like and respect and responsibility. Matthew came home one time from, uh, I think it was junior high or high they you know, they kind of mixed together, but he came home and he got a B, and it was a disaster. I got a B, ah! and I'm like, really, a B? That's great, you know. And he's like, no, it's not. And he's and I look at the paper, and it's it's got all the only thing it's you got a B for is she wrote down you wrote on this side of that little red line in the notebook, that margin, and I said, well, what do you, why did you write there? Because it was there was some space. And I said, well, she doesn't want you to write there. I know she told me she didn't want me to do that. Then why did you do that? Because there's a place to write. I said, well, I think the reason you got a B instead of an A had nothing to do with the content but the conduct. What do you mean? I said, well, let's try something. The next time you do your homework, write everything on that side of the line and see what happens. He got an A. What he learned was what? Just obey. But I don't understand why that line. Why do I? I don't either, but I'll tell you this, son. One day, you're going to have a boss ask you to do something or tell you to do something that you don't want to do. You're going to have a police officer tell you to do something you don't want to do. You're going to have another teacher or professor Or or a grandparent. Somebody's going to say, I need you to do this, and you're going to want to do it. And you're going to think about this and go, you know what? I can yield. I can surrender my way. It's not that big a deal. I can learn to obey. I can't expect the rest of my house to take obeying God seriously if I take it lightly. If I'm looking for the loopholes and... You know, I want you to know that our families, and by the way, this works both ways. When my, when I watched my sons at times obey, when I watched some of your children obey, I want to tell you something. When I would see here around here at church, your kids, when I was working with the kids ministry, they would obey something I know they didn't like. I went, man, I want to be like them. Didn't Jesus say that? Brought up children, we ought to be like kids. That's one of the attributes of children when they're obedient, man. It works both ways. It's not just a parent-kid thing. It's a kid-parent thing. And you want to encourage your parents, teenagers, you want to encourage them to obey the Lord. Show them sometimes what that looks like. Show them what that... It isn't always easy. Remind them and watch them go, oh, wow, they're more mature than I am here. You see, every, every our families need to see. We need, we need to show each other what obedience looks like when we don't want to do something or we don't get our way or we're disappointed. It's easy to obey when it's something you want to do, but it's those critical times. They need to see, wow, dad struggles with that too. Mom struggles with that too. I had a police officer go off on me for not wearing my seatbelt in front of my two boys. And my two boys are doing this. And afterwards, we pull, you know, we pull back on the road and, and they said, Dad, we can't believe you let that man talk to you that way. I said, well, he had a gun. He had a badge. And I told him, I, said, I joked. I said, well, he had a gun and he had a badge. And I said, but honestly, guys, I was wrong. You were wrong? Yeah, I, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. He was right. Kids need to see this, that we struggle making up our minds. That we, that's hard for us to obey sometimes. They see, they see that struggle and yet they see the humility and the, the willingness to yield and go, I, and have the same attitude to Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And we just do it because it's what God wants. I don't fully understand it, son. I don't get it sometimes. And sometimes I'm afraid too when I say, okay, Lord, I'll do that. I'm afraid of what might happen, but it's God that's asking us to do these things. That's what needs to be modeled in our homes. So choose. Choose gratitude. Choose to worship. Choose to obey. Let me give you the fourth choice. And this is probably a very important choice. I notice Joshua gives and makes. He says these words. He says, choose for yourselves. And this is what it says. As for me and my house, we will choose for ourselves. That's another choice that we're all going to choose ourselves for ourselves. We're making the choice. That's what he says. Choose for yourselves this day who you'll serve. You know, I noticed something. Joshua's not pressuring anybody. He's not threatening anybody. He's not coercing anybody. Why not? That don't work. Pressure don't work. It's taken me 60 years to figure that out. Pressure don't work. See, I can't choose for you and you can't choose for me. I can only choose for me and you can only choose for you. Each of us have to make up our own minds about what we're going to do with this Bible and in our culture. And the thing is, I know you know this, what a powerful responsibility God has given us with this idea of choice. It's so good to have, but there's such grave responsibility with what we do with it. See, one of the things you'll not find in Scripture is God crowding people and pressuring people to do what He says. He might plea, but He will not pressure. He knows that it doesn't work. I read this uh, uh, this week. A man convinced against his will is the man... Uh, uh, is of the same opinion still. Let me read it again. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You see, Joshua could speak for his family because he had spoke to his family. He had given them the option. You decide. You decide what you're going to do. This idea of choice, and listen, I know this is a toughie because yeah, uh, one of the things I've realized is this, my kids are going to end up choosing for themselves sooner or later. Now, when they're little bitty, I know we're all choosing for them. I watched Judah coming up to the coffee thing asking, asking, uh, Bob, I would like some, some stuff, you know, I think gummies or something, you know, and I thought, I wonder if Bob should ask the parents, you know, well, apparently he has the wherewithal to make this decision. And here he is in his cuteness. I mean, how can you resist? He looks like Peter Pan. I mean, he's, it's cute. Here you go. And then Bob goes, you want me to open it for you? Sure. I know that little bitty kids, we, we decide everything for them because they're incapable. But as they grow, we have to give them that responsibility, that power of choice. Oh, Wendy, do, they don't want to go to church, and they're seven. Do I make them go to church? My opinion, yeah. But there's going to be a time you're going to have to say, you need to choose. You need to understand. You, you this has got to be your own faith. It can't be mine anymore. I know it's a minefield for us. With this idea of choice, I've heard parents say, well, as long as you're going to live under my roof, you're going to do what I say. You ever heard that? Can I suggest something? As long as they live under your roof, teach them how to make good choices. As long as they're going to be under your roof, train them to respect this power delegate some of this as they grow. Age appropriately. Let them grow. Let them try it out. Let them disappoint. Danny and I were taking care of pigs at a young age and and we weren't taking it very seriously till one of our sows died. It was like a 600, 300, 400, I don't know, big, huge sow with pigs. And it was dead. It was dead for several days. And yet we were feeding it. We thought it was asleep. Okay, we weren't paying attention. Dad comes out there. That sounds dead. It is? When did it die? Well, let's look. And uh, where we fed them, there's this heap and bunch of feed. Because it must have been days ago because she's not ate it days. And then he starts telling us, look, what, look. I give you this responsibility to take care of these pigs. This pig is dead. And all the piglets are dead. So you guys are going to have to go bury the thing. First, we've got to get it out of the barn. I learned so much in that experience. You learn a lot from failure. Here's your, here's your choice and you blew it. What did I say? You had one job and you blew it. Don't have to yell at them. They get it. Oh my gosh. We're dragging this pig out. I realize here's all these little piglets. Help us. Little pigs are dead too. You know, she had crushed them. She'd fell them. I don't know if she had a heart attack or what. She crushes them. And Danny and I, it took us all day to get this thing took care of. I'm like, man, mistakes sure are. Man, this choice thing got a lot of consequences to it. See, our kids need to understand that. We need to grow up and, well, as as long as they live under your roof, let them learn how to choose for themselves. I'm going to read a verse to you that's not not in your notes or on the screen that is a very confusing passage. Train a child in the way he should go and when he is old he'll not turn from it. There's a lot of controversy around this verse. Well, I did the best I could to train them and, you know, show them God and everything, but now they're not faithful. Well, first of all, the day ain't over. Okay? There's still a lot of life ahead of them. I've seen kids rebel, come back. But could I, could I ask you to consider another idea here? If I train a child, how to decide, how to make decisions, how to take responsibility. They understand the consequence and the power of choice. When they get old, they'll keep using that idea. It'll come in handy when they get older. You see, our kids... Here's two things I notice. okay, in this lesson. Our kids will not live in the same world we live in. You say, well, they live kind of... They're not not—they're not growing up like we did. And I noticed this too about this. Our kids will eventually make up their own minds. So we either can help them by giving them the skills they need or we can just let time pass and when they're 18, they're out and they're on their own. I'm suggesting to you as we close here you give them the tools that can help them navigate through some of the craziest, craziest culture that's ever been on the face of this planet. That they learn how by timeless tools, timeless skills that you can bring to every generation. Where do I learn these timeless tools and skills from families in the Bible? Bedrock choices, crucial choices, Decisions that make a difference. You know, today you may be worried about your kids or your grandkids, what's going to happen to them, what kind of choice they're going to make. Would you set them aside and just, would you focus on what's your choice? Where's it at? What are you choosing? Take a look at your own, because they matter. They really do matter. One generation can be lost if I'm asleep at the wheel here. In, in uh, Joshua twenty-four thirty-one, it says that the people of Israel served the Lord for the lifetime of Joshua and those that heard what, his words. I want you to know your family is depending on you right now. Depending on you big time to help them sort out some of the stuff that they're, they're facing. Can't be power, it can't be about a power play. Just because you yell louder and you're bigger doesn't make you right. You've got to be able to reason and, and teach them to critically think about how to, how, to, how to break this down. I've watched some of you mothers doing this already. You're breaking down, and some of you grandmothers, you're breaking down. Well, let's look at this. Let's calmly look at this topic and see what the Bible has to say, and what common sense we can bring to it. In Judges 2, the Bible says this. It says that there was another generation that raised up, and it says they did not know the Lord. Within another generation, how did it happen? One generation failed to pass that on to the next. And I want to encourage you, let your generation... Let this be the generation that we don't neglect to equip our home with the choices, the critical choices that will make a difference in this broken world. Look at this. I hope you can pray this. I hope that that you can even make this kind of a, a commitment in Micah 4. Though the nations around us follow their gods, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. So I want to encourage you, make these choices, make them today. Because if there's ever a time to save our family, it is now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again. We always, I always say that, Lord, but it's true. Thank you for the promises, for the, for the guidance in your word. And Lord, I, I know that many of us here, we have, our kids are growing up in a different world than we grew up in. Yet, yeah, Father, there are some things that, that that need to remain the same, and that's a commitment to you. We know that, that, that you don't change. you're the same yesterday, today and forever, and we pray, Father, that we can secure our, our values, our emotions, our families onto your teachings, and from that we grow uh, and mature, our kids grow. Fully functioning disciples in your kingdom. Father, I know that uh, we have people here that, you know, Chrissy's in the crowd. She lost her mother. And, Father, comfort her. Give her greater comfort. Um, I think of uh, Father, uh, you know, James and Cassie having a baby named Atlas. And that's so cool. Oh, please bless them. You know, people are coming and going in this world. We just pray you'll be with the families that are mourning and the families that are celebrating and every family here today as we choose, we each make that choice that forever changes how our family will be. We pray in Christ's name, amen.
1: Turn my heart, O Lord, like rivers to